I love it. And the last question, what does the word intentional mean for you? You know where you want to go. You have a written plan on how you're going to get there. And you have someone that's going to help you stay on track. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. How's it going, everybody, and welcome back. I'm very excited for today's interview because it highlights the power that a clear plan and vision can do for our decision-making today and making sure that we stay on track and actually hit our goals. Who I have on the show today is Casey Cavell. Casey was a professional poker player, and after he left poker, he took a $9,000 investment and turned it into a portfolio of businesses that was grossing over $40 million in revenue, and the reason that... I wanted to highlight the power of a plan is because Casey had a clear vision of what he wanted out of the businesses from the financial aspect, but also from his role. And as you've been hearing me beat the drum of, we got to figure out what we want out of. Do we want out of our job or our asset? And how do we want both of those paths to unfold? Casey describes in his story how he was able to make really important decisions that are generally really hard but he was able to make them with a fair bit of ease because he was very clear in what he wanted. So his decision to launch new locations, to expand his business, whether he should bring on partners or not, and when and how he should exit, he walks through how he made those decisions through his decision tree on how he was able to get aligned with what he wanted long-term and why. So this is a great episode to hear from someone that was intentional along the way of going from burnout to actually getting into their unique ability, continuing to scale the business in his unique ability. And once they hit their goal, it kind of became obvious that he should potentially exit the ownership of the asset as well as the job. And now he's still cordial and wonderful friends with his partners that he worked in the business with. I think that this is a great example of what can be done and the ease of decision-making that can come when you have a plan. doesn't mean that the plan is going to be easy, but it makes it less dramatic and less conflict and tension and anxiety-driven if we are clear on what we want from the business and why, what the financial outcomes that we're trying to target and why. If you want more clarity, I highly, highly recommend go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit. It's got five videos on the five Intentional Growth Principles a bit of an overview on what intentional growth is as far as identifying that target equity valuation. And then I walk through a case study on how to project out the future value of your company using the three financial statements. And then it comes with the financial scorecard so you can grade yourself on how well you're accomplishing and organizing your financials to set it up to forecast out the financial asset and the valuation. The starter kit link is in the show notes below. And now I hope you enjoy the interview with Casey Cavell. You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace, and you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing 
when realistically you have the option just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash. The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going. But we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Casey, how are you, my friend? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, man. I'm very excited. Uh, I had, uh, it, I don't remember where you reached out originally. Was it Twitter or LinkedIn? It would have been um, one of those platforms. And the reason I'm just like hypersensitive to this right now, Casey, my team is like really pushing me to like get more visible on social media and I'm not naturally inclined to be honest. And so like someone like reaches out, I'm like, oh, he wants to talk about business. Like, let's do it. And so like I, I got back on and then I saw your picture when you were talking about getting, uh, you know, launching the, the, is it the dugout podcast, right? Yep. The dugout and, CEO. Yeah. And the dugout CEO and I, you had that little light behind you. I'm like, holy shit, I love what he's doing. So I was like, oh my God, your story, even just your one-liner, I was like, this is going to be a fun story. So here we are. You turned a $9,000 investment into $40 million in revenue. And it was super easy is what I gathered. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Something like that. Why don't you just get, you want to just give us the kind of the overarching theme and uh, container, and then we can go back to kind of the big, uh, the big journey and the story arc. Sure. I got started, I think, different than most entrepreneurs. I was a poker player. So I figured out a way to get my bankroll or my investment from playing poker in Las Vegas as a 20 and 21 year old and uh, played in the World Series of Poker and all of that kind of stuff. But it's very similar to business when you play poker. You sit around a table with nine people and you got to have a plan and you got to have a strategy and you got to know how to manage your money and your bankroll and your emotions. And I just did it really well. So super long story short, I realized that kind of working in my business rather than working on my business was me like playing poker because you could only make money if you played. And I'm like, there's got to be a way to figure out a way to make money when you're not playing. So I'm like, okay, do I want to start a poker business? Do I want to start any other kind of business? And I'm like, there's got to be something else because I don't want to work from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. 
because that's what I had to work. And I saw the lifestyle these guys lived and I'm like, that's not me. So I took that money and I started researching real estate investing and started buying underperforming real estate businesses. And I'm a system guy. I'm a process guy. I know how to put in efficiencies and figure out issues and solve issues. So started finding these underperforming businesses and put my kind of magic touch on them and then had a lot of success and built some businesses and sold them. And at what, 27 ish, I had, you know, enough to probably last me a lifetime. And then I'm like, all right, what do I do now kind of thing? Yeah, love, love the container of that or uh, overarching story, because there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, you know, going back to the poker, I, I think that's really fascinating, because I just got done recording another interview, Casey, and uh, we talked about poker. And actually, the way he had described it, of because like, it was a family business, and he was saying that it was like, not knowing the technical stuff, was like playing poker without knowing your hand because we were talking about how a lot of entrepreneurs don't know how companies are valued. And if you don't know what you're exchanging, you're playing a blind hand and not knowing how many things that you can, how many, how many chips you can bet without knowing how much you have. And so like, I think of what is your th thoughts on like the parallel analogy of poker? Cause isn't there like a, I don't know what percentage, like there's the art of the, the body language and everything. And then there's the technical card counting and all that kind of stuff. Very similar to business as, as I can kind of court like in my monkey brain. Yeah, very much. And I think just like business and poker, you will have your strengths and those things that you're naturally good at. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company, maybe you're a sales guy and you're really good at bringing a new business in, or you're a marketing guy and you're really good at attracting new people to you, or you're an operations guy. I, th I think most entrepreneurs are more like sales and marketing and growth rather than the X's and O's of running a business and streamlining operations and processes. But yeah, you have your strengths and you got to bring in other people to help you with your weaknesses, or at least bring in somebody to look at your game and say, Hey, look, this is what I'm weak at. I need help here or mm -hmm. whatever. And poker was the same way. When I did it, I wasn't on my own. I did it with a bunch of guys and we would, at the end of the night, go through all of our hands and figure mm -hmm. out what worked and what didn't work. And we had this thing called an oopsie meter where it's like, oops, I messed up. What could I have done differently there? So just like in business, you have your things that you're good at and things that you're not. You got to figure out what are those things that you're not good at, bring somebody else in to help you or figure out those blind spots that you have and allow other people to speak into your business. How did you figure out what you were good at, not good at in poker? And then how did you do that in business poker it was it was kind of it's just trying it doing it realizing hey i'm not a great manager of people why because i was told i wasn't a great manager of people and i didn't like doing it so i think it's just like anything if you like it you're probably more apt to being good at it if you don't like it there's no chance you're good at it for a long period of time and i think a lot of people like for me i'm like i don't love managing people but i had to do it and I could do it really well for a short period of time, but eventually I didn't become, I, I got burnt out and I became a mm -hmm. short tempered manager that gave people no grace and just didn't communicate well because I didn't like doing it. So I think it's something that, Hey, if you like doing it, great, you can probably be good at it, but then it's other people probably speaking into your life and saying, Hey, Casey, I don't know if this is something you should be doing. And that's other people watching you on film or being in a meeting with you. I had this older gentleman by the name of Tim. He was one of my best friends and he would sit in meetings with me as I ran my company. And early on it was Casey, I can't be in many more of these meetings with you. It is brutal being in a meeting with you. And I'm like, why? 
And he gave me some tips of how I led a meeting and what I can do differently. And I was more like a pusher and telling people rather than asking good questions. So mm -hmm. it's getting other people's feedback and allowing other people to really speak truth into your life is really important. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that and I agreed. And when I think of you, you about your earlier kind of first comment about you know poker's like or business like poker, you have a plan, you play your hand, and you kind of read the situations around you. What was your plan? So like a nine thousand dollar investment. What were your goals originally, and then how did they change as you started growing the business and businesses? First thing. I wanted to buy a business or invest in something that was already undervalued. It was for sale for a cheaper price than what I could buy it for. Because right there, I knew I had instant equity. But really, I was trying to find something that I can make it more valuable. So whenever I go into any situation, I'm asking myself, okay, what are they currently doing? Right. Okay, great. Let's keep doing that. But what aren't they doing that they should be doing to grow their business? Or what are they doing that there's a better way to do it? So in any business, whether I'm coming in as an advisor or an investor, I'm trying to see, okay, what could this business be? All right. And then what are the things that we got to do to get it there? So for me, I'm buying a business and it's listed for a million dollars. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, it's worth a million dollars. But if they did this, this, and this, and this, it could be worth $2 million. And then I have to ask myself, can I actually do that myself or do I know somebody else that could come in and make these small changes? And for me, it's just in any business, it's around, do they know who their ideal customer is, right? And then what is the service or the product that they're selling them? And then what is the process in the way that they're going about it? Because business really just is having a great product or service, figuring out a way to get people interested in that product or service, closing them and getting them to become a customer and then making them so happy they then go and tell everybody they know. And if you can figure out a way to simplify and streamline that and keep it that simple and ask yourself in any situation, what is that business doing in each of those aspects that, that they could be doing better? And if I can do that, I can help as a consultant or advisor or investor. And I've done that for a while now. Very helpful. How, when and how along your journey did you understand how things are worth? So like you take nine grand, like were you solving for annual cash flow and for time at the beginning? Because like here's, here's where I'm going at this case. And I just got done off and it's very hot top of mind from my speaking recently, but also the podcast I just get, got done recording, which is we don't, many entrepreneurs don't even know what they're exchanging because they don't know how valuations work. So when I find someone that gets into acquisition, you know, acquisition entrepreneurship where you go buy this business. Did you know how valuations worked and you were thinking through this? Because that would going back to your poker analogy, you had a plan. Was the plan more time, more freedom, actual value creation? Like, does the question make sense? It sure does. Yeah. So in the real estate businesses I was buying, they were based on a cap rate, capitalization rate. So a self-storage facility or apartment complex, there was a, a, a way that they traded. Now, I wasn't good at that. But I brought in somebody that could help me evaluate, all right, well, what is the revenue? Okay, what are all the expenses? What is the net operating income? And that typically traded at a multiple. So if it brings in a million dollars a year in revenue and it was you know, $500,000 in expenses, the net operating income is 500,000, it traded at a five or a 10 multiple. So 
that's how I looked at it there. And traditional businesses, whether it's a service-based business or a SaaS business, it's very similar. It's trading typically on a percentage of bottom line profit. And some businesses are traded at 10 times profit, 20 times profit, some two times profit. It depends on you know the industry. So that's the way that I looked at it. But I kept trying to figure out, okay, how can I grow top line and how can I impact bottom line? And anytime I go into any business, I'm asking myself, how do we generate more revenue? And then how do we minimize the expense? And for me, it's more generate revenue because I think revenue cures a lot of problems. But there's a lot of way. I mean, you do this for businesses, right, Ryan? Where it's like, I'm going to go in and look at all the gaps and issues and opportunities financially speaking in the business, because a lot of businesses bring in revenue, but they lose it. So it's how do I improve top line, Mm -hmm. but also improve and, uh, you know, narrow in on the bottom line. I love it. And I agree with you on the revenue generation too, because like at some point you can't cut your way to value. Like if you bought, like going back to your real estate analogy, and by the way, going for the kind of close the loop, how you laid out your real estate like that makes a ton of sense how you understood value then. Cause I'm always curious, like, so, cause a net operating income is kind of like normalized, but then there's a multiple of like how, like, so like there's a lot of translations into that. So when you, when you go into this business that you originally bought, curious on what it is, and then you can't cut your way to value, like going back to real estate, you know, you can't just get rid of the bathroom. It's like, there's a certain foundation that's necessary for everybody to continue living and then it's all about the upside, right? I mean, as far as how can you grow that, which is why business is different than real estate, right? Because you can keep growing their top line of business, not real estate. How did you, when you were looking at the industry, the size of the company, were you taking what you're good at and what you were solving for from wealth and your job? How did that jigsaw puzzle kind of come together? Yeah. So let me share. After I sold some of my real estate properties, I bought a underperforming sports training facility in Atlanta, Georgia. Gentleman came in. I literally just had him on our podcast. He owned a professional um, sports team. So he's like, hey, all right, I own a professional sports team. He was a hedge fund manager. He started this business more as a hobby, but we all know how that typically turns out, right? <laughs> like if you just invest money into something, but nobody's there running it, like, or they're all in on it, it just didn't work. So he invested millions of dollars and I bought him out. And he goes, Casey, please do me a favor. This is a headache. I don't have the time to, that it needs to get it to where it needs to be. So I looked at that and it was generating, uh, gosh, at the time it was probably $500,000 in revenue. It was like next to nothing, right? And it was losing money. So he basically, I bought it basically based on the assets. But when I looked at that business, it was actually a franchise or his business wasn't a franchise, but I bought a franchise and installed the franchise into that location. Oh, sweet. Which is kind of interesting because a franchise, if you buy a franchise, there's other businesses out there that are already doing it. So you have an idea of what's possible in other franchises. So when I bought into this franchise, I went and I asked myself, okay, who are the top performers out there that are currently doing this? And can I do it better than them? And even if I can't do it better than them, even if I can do it at the same rate as them, can I make it profitable? So the top franchises out there were doing a million, million, two a year in revenue, and they were generating 400,000, 500,000 to the bottom line. It was a very profitable business. And I'm like, okay, they're in a similar market. I'm in a similar market. I think I can do just as well as them. And I'm like, all right, if I can do and duplicate what they've done in Texas, in Dallas, in Atlanta, then I'm good. And I'm buying this thing for $100,000. I have all the upside in the world. So that's the way I try to simplify it. So did you take your nine grand use as the down payment for the hundred grand or like how to, like, I'm just I trying to curious how, how you got your snowball. Nine grand was buying a six unit apartment complex. Okay. 
for 150 grand. That was my down payment. And then I refinance out after I raised the rents and all that, took that, used that as a down payment of the next storage facility, (laughs) grew that, refinanced out of that, bought two more storage facilities, refinanced out of that, sold all that, and then invested a few hundred thousand dollars into these baseball academies. I love it. Um, Absolutely love it. Why the heck did you get out of real estate and move to business? (laughs) Shiny object syndrome. I was going to say, usually it's the business owner that I hear go, man, I'd really like to be an apartment building owner where it's just the maintenance people I have to deal with, not APA, you know, like the whole complexity of a business. And looking back at it, it was probably a really... (laughs) Your face was great. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's something I've asked myself for a long time. Looking back at it, I probably wish I would have stayed in it. Because real estate was very transactional, right? It was simple. It was, I have a piece of property, I have a business, right? I was running self-storage facilities where you can run a multi-million dollar business with one or two people. Yeah, right. right. Like self-storage, not even just apartment, multi multi-family. Like truly people store their shit and then they send you stuff, send you money. That's it. it. <laughs> and it was a very simple business. Now, why I got out of it was I think shiny object syndrome. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a visionary. And I'm like, okay, I've conquered that. I've done that. All right, let me go and do something else. And for me, business was more than just about making money. If it was just about making money, I probably would have stayed in real estate, but I wanted to do something I was really passionate about. I love baseball. I love business. I wanted to figure out a way to interact baseball and business and all that. And thus I built all these baseball academies. But you're right. I mean, business, if you don't do it the right way, it can become overwhelming because you're ultimately dealing with people and people create challenges. But if you have a good system to plug people into, people will be more successful and the more successful and the happier they are, the better they are to have as employees. So yeah, real estate was great. Um, I'm still in real estate, but I take passive profits from my business and put it into real estate. Um, but anything. I love it, dude. Yeah, no, that's awesome. No, I appreciate the, I appreciate the the clarity on that. And so you had said that, you know, when you were playing poker, you were, you were thinking about like working and how you had to work in order to play, you had to play in order to earn, you get into real estate, then you go into, into business, but all of a sudden you're now burnt out. Yeah. So like you, you got into the exact situation that you didn't want to be in by taking on this risk. So how, like, how, like, how did that circumstance come to be? And like, where in the journey was that? And how did that manifest? So the real estate businesses, they did great. I had good people It worked. There wasn't a lot of moving parts. When I got into the baseball and softball Academy, we had a 30,000 square foot indoor complex with a $20,000 a month rent. I had 15 to 20, 21 to 26 year old men that think they're men, but they're really boys trying to and, posture, trying to find their mates. These yeah, and our customers were five to 12 year old kids. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I had a five year old, do I really want to leave that five year old with this 24 year old and have them supervise 12 kids running a baseball camp? It was hard, but I created a culture that I brought in the right 24 year old guys. Right. And I taught them and they never really up to that point in their life taught were taught what is it like to be a leader? What is it like to be a good example? Because a lot of our employees, they were former professional baseball players. From the time they were five years old, they were the best at what they did. And Mm. at some point, whether it was they were 22, 23, or 28, 
a lot of them didn't make it to the big leagues and they had to go back and realize, all right, well, what's plan B? And I told them, I said, hey, look, if you want to now get into business, you're going to come in here. And we're going to teach you what it looks like to run a business and treat people the right way. So I think that was really it was, all right, how do I you know, create a business that is impactful on people and really makes a difference? And it was challenging scaling and growing that business. So then because um, of what I was doing, uh, what I was seeing and when I was doing my research, you were talking about how you got burnt out while you were doing yeah. this. Yeah. How did that happen? So like if you get like, was it the people that was it getting too big? Was it there certain people that you were kind of trying the spots you're trying to fill or what happened? Yeah. And I think managing that amount of people when I myself was not a good manager is what led to my burnout. I was good at creating and building and inspiring people and solving problems, but managing people and managing the day-to-day operations of the business is what got me burnt out. So I can do really good managing somebody for 90 days. Come in, where do you want to go? All right, great, here's your plan. But I'm not the one to come in every day and make sure everybody's doing all of their stuff. So I was living in my dread zone, waking up every day and opening up the doors and answering the calls and making sure the checklist got completed, interviewing new people, hiring the new people, managing the new people. Why? It's because I got my business to a point, but I still didn't really want to let go because I realized, or I at least thought at the time, nobody could do it as good as me. And was it true? It probably was for a lot of the business. But for some of the business, it wasn't. But what I realized eventually, Ryan, was if they did it an 8 out of 10, is that good enough? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want anything to be done 8 out of 10. It's got to be done the best way. And that prevented me from giving up control, hiring somebody else, and then going and finding other locations to start where I was worried about how do I take this business from 1.5 in revenue to 1.7? When I should have been thinking 1.5 is good if I don't have to be there anymore and I can hire other people to do the jobs that I don't want to do and I can go start four more locations and do a couple million dollars a year in those four locations, now I have a $10 million business rather than just worrying about how do I, how do I take it from like, how do I make everything perfect? That was the mentality that I had and it led me to burnout and I just realized I had to let go and it took some time to get there. You just articulated that very well. My guess is when you were dealing with that, it was not that clear. How did you go from not knowing, like trying to make it perfect to how you were able to articulate that clear that that was the problem? It took somebody else coming into my business that was years down the road to really just speak truth into my life. So I tried to sell that business because I kind of wanted to do the same thing that probably a lot of people want to do. I want to sell my business. I'm out of here. I'm going to retire early or I'm going to go invest in real estate. Like the grass is greener is what I always thought my whole life. But what I realized was the grass is greener wherever you plant. Now, I didn't believe that. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to sell this business. Bought it for a hundred grand. It was probably worth one and a half, two million, I'll exit, do something else. And then when I tried to do that, found a gentleman, he had already kind of done something similar, build, scale, grow businesses. And he was years, you know, down the road and he goes, Hey, I'll invest, but you can't leave. And I'm like, well, I'm out. I didn't tell him that, but I'm like, I'm out. I I'm burnt out. And we started building a relationship. And over time, he was the people guy. He was the culture guy. He was the financial guy where I'm like, I know how to bring in new business. I know how to create processes and systems and scale stuff, but I'm not like the people kind of guy, the manager. And he brought in people that did all the jobs that I was doing that I did not want to do. And then I went and focused on about three things. 
which was opening new locations, teaching, training, inspiring. And we went from one location to five over a couple year period and built the business that way. But it really wasn't until he came in and showed me, hey, Casey, you're doing this. I don't think you should be doing that. Or you are doing this. I think somebody else can actually do that. And that will free you up to go do more of what you do best. Super fascinating. So how much did he, what percentage of the business did he buy? So I had two different business partners. They each invested, um, you know, in a third of the company. Okay. So then, cause I got two partners and I've been through like multiple partnership buyouts and it's nothing short of uh, muddy. <laughs> and so I've done multiple podcasts, uh, mini series on it. What was your, was there, I should ask the question. Was there a unified target valuation or timeline or vision or goal? What was the BHAG? Like, what was unifying you three on the ownership and the operations? I had a vision of five locations throughout the Atlanta area. And I said, hey, we can perfect this model and put one location here, 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 and here. And if we do that, we could have X amount of instructors. We can impact X amount of people. So there was a vision of an end goal of let's build our five. Um, and then I basically, when, you know, they invest in the company, I just said, Hey, this is what it's worth based on three and a half or four multiple mm -hmm. of the profit. And they just wrote a check. I put a little bit in my pocket. We left a little bit into the business to grow it. And then we started, you know, finding these other locations. And cash flow from operations fund those additional acquisitions and everything or some, or event, some but some we invested additional capital. And all three of you guys were on the same page with how much, how that all worked and mm -hmm. who, that's yeah, awesome, man. It took some, it took some time, but uh, and we we even <laughs> yeah. got another guy involved. He was a former Major League Baseball player. He wanted to, he was in the Atlanta area. He wanted to start a location, but what he realized was, hey, I'm a baseball guy. I got some money, but I don't know how to run this thing. So then he invested with us, hired us to do a little bit of a job. I own some equity. He owns some equity, and then we basically ran the day to day. What did that new role? do for you as your other partner so and, and was it just one partner that had an active w2 job or did the other two both do or both have w2 jobs and how did that do for you when you got freed up from all that stuff did your burnout go away what was the new relationship with the business yeah one guy was more a silent partner who just showed up to the quarterly meetings and just gave us really good wisdom he was a major league baseball agent one of the wisest smartest men uh that i know um, just interviewed him on our podcast too. And it was just phenomenal. Like looking back at, I'm so glad he entered my life when he did because he experienced things that I have yet to experience that he prevented me from having to go through the pain and turmoil of that. And he just helped me solve issues that I couldn't see that I had. So he was more kind of like an advisor. The other gentleman was more like in the day-to-day -day managing, not managing people, but providing culture and opportunities and connections and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then basically my main goal was just to go and open new locations, build them out, train the new people, make sure the systems are in place, all that kind of stuff. What did it do for your um, your relationship with the business and the burnout that you were feeling? I felt a little bit disconnected from the day-to-day because -day I wasn't the one greeting the customers and managing the instructors and all of that kind of stuff. So I felt a little bit left out there, but I was doing more of what I love to do, which was opening new locations and teaching and training and inspiring and less managing. Um, so it allowed me honestly, to wake up and be excited that, Hey, I, I get to work today versus I have to work today. I, you know, and that's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, if they disappeared from their business and they took a three week vacation, like things aren't getting done the way they would if they were there. 
And that was true early on for me. But eventually when I hired good people and I put a good system in place, you know, that stuff, uh, you know, started being fixed. It's amazing what it does, doesn't it? Isn't it Casey? Like I, uh, this isn't about me, but man, I've truly experienced what you just described in the last nine months of my own company. My partner, Matt Buskirk has been the CEO now for 12 months or something like that. It's a little bit longer. I've got another uh, partner, Joel, and they're like, dude, I'm legitimately just the chief revenue officer now. Oh my God, dude. Like, it's like this, it's like I have a new business yeah. and like, and, and I don't know if like you, you, you've said that you've worked with a hundred entrepreneurs since uh, you sold how many people deal with the same issue? And before you answer, like the concept that I've brought to the forefront that has helped me process this is like ownership versus leadership roles. And like that kind of helps people think through like, what am I trying to solve for? Is it the leadership role versus the ownership role? But like, it still doesn't really tackle it with great detail. Like what role does Casey want? You know what I mean? It's like the leadership role. Great. You get a W2 job, but like, what is it that you want and how that can impact someone's timeline is so huge because I think people get trapped in there. How many people you see that are that are that experience the same thing? Well, everybody experiences it at some point if you're building a business. Hey, if I'm not here, is the job going to get done without me? Hey, if I'm not here, is a job going to get done to the standards that I want? So everybody experiences it at some point. So you just got to figure out, all right, how do I duplicate myself without me being here? And that's what I try to do is write down all the stuff that I know that needs to be done, circle the things that I want to do and put a star by the other things that everybody else has to do. And a circle and a star are the things that I'm doing that I don't want to do anymore. And I've got to get those things off my plate, automate them or give them to somebody else that I can trust. that's going to get the job done well and have data and numbers. That's telling me if it's actually getting done. So I think a mm -hmm. lot of times business owners are like, okay, they either don't want to let go because they're scared what's going to happen. Or they don't want to let go because they don't know if the job's actually getting done without them. So if you can have some good data or metrics or KPIs or whatever, and I'm sure you do a lot of that stuff, right, Ryan, where you can help businesses run their business by the numbers, then they're seeing like dashboards of who's doing well. I'm a big baseball guy and you know who the best players are on the team and you know how well the team's doing because of the stat sheet. So you just got to create that. And I think a lot Money of people, yeah, right? that's it. And I just don't think a lot of people have a good financial dashboards to know who their A players are and who isn't producing and how the business is doing overall. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Casey so far. I really enjoyed talking to him and asking him the questions why he did what he did because he had really good answers because he was clear on what he was trying to accomplish. If you want that kind of clarity, I highly recommend you go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit and specifically zero in on the Intentional Growth Vision Board. We're on one page and synthesizes everything that you need to clarify that multidimensional point B. What do you want from the business and why? What is your target equity valuation at what point in time? And what salary and distributions do you want on the way there? What are the different exit options you should be researching on the way to your point B? And then how can you de-risk your cash flow by optimizing the eight functional areas of the business and making more sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow? That one pager of that vision board can help you wake up and be excited to work towards your goals so that way you can measure and monitor your progress on the way to the goal that you want and the right goal because you know that you're growing value and you're going to have choices to do what you want when you want with who you want for as long as you want because you've created something that is of value and hits your financial targets 
And trust me, that kind of freedom that you're looking for is the freedom of choices. You don't have to commit to anything. And this kind of clarity you can get in this starter kit, which is in the show notes below. Now back to our interview with Casey. Isn't it crazy how data impacts your behavior? And we all say, oh, it's not, it doesn't. And dude, I was sitting there, uh, I've got an aura ring and, uh, you know, my wife and I are going down this levels and inside track, essentially just health data. Like we have to be your own physician. Otherwise no one gives a shit. And I've been telling her cause she does her workout in the morning and then she does nothing. I mean, she works really, works out really hard. And I've been saying like, Megan, you got to get up and like stand and walk around. Like I, I can't sit still. So I don't have that problem. Sure. And I've been telling her that Casey for like years. She, she got her ordering last week. She's like, holy shit, I need to like move around is what it says. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's this data. It's truly objective. It gets like, it cuts through the emotional feeling, but it's also helpful to reconcile those. So when you guys were growing these five academies, when you got, when did it, like, was it emotional or was it data driven about the timeline and the, when you guys should sell them all? Like how did all that sort of started to come come together so my goal was to do five so i saw a market that could sustain five amazing locations in great areas and that was my goal and probably going back to my real estate days when i got to the five i'm like all right what do i do now and i had a gosh i don't know five year run doing that and that i just got married at the time so i'm like all right maybe i do something different i slow down i do something different and probably the the visionary entrepreneur in me is like all right what's figure out a way to do something different. So built the five, attained the goal. They were running well. And then I got bought out from my partners. And then, you know, they've actually grown since then. I'm still best friends with those guys that I built that with. And I just said, all right, I want to do something different. Was able to slow down and focus on my wife and our marriage for in our first year. And, you know, it was really important because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they build really successful businesses, but they might not be winning at home, whether it's as a husband or it's as a dad or, you know, whatever. And I realized, you know, Hey, I'm in a new business per se relationship with my wife. We're building a life together and I wanted to make sure I wasn't distracted and I was able to give her everything I wanted. And thankfully I was able to do that. But also I think, I think the business, I hit my goal. I achieved the vision I wanted and I moved on to the next thing. Super fascinating. Did you like when you got to the point where you were talking to your partners about, Hey, it's time, got the five, hit the goal. What was the consensus on the valuation? Did you have any desire to take it to market and see what the whole thing was worth? Did you feel like reconciling that against the value of the buyout with your partners and the deal structure? Like how would you weigh all those kind of technical decisions against kind of your poker hand against the outcome that you were looking for? Sure. Gosh, it- I wish there was, hey, there was this crazy evaluation where like, hey, do we take it to private equity and we scale to 20? And there really wasn't that. It was almost my partner and I being like, hey, what do you think this is worth? What's it going to be worth? Okay, let's figure out a way to meet in the middle because we've remained friends and done other things and have real estate properties and stuff like that together. So it really wasn't, it was, hey, this is what it's worth based on the current cash flow and what it's going to be a year from now or two years from now on the trajectory that it was growing. And it was kind of, Hey, if you want to cash out, this is what I can do. And the business could kind of take care of some of that. So it was, it was kind of those. And I think in business, you want business partners that are like that. Mm-hmm. You, you want guys that you want to be in a foxhole with. And you want people that are, I would, I would say friends. It's good to be in business with friends, but you just want to have a relationship with people because at the end of the day, you can make a bunch of money. But if you're doing with people you don't like to work with or you don't really enjoy spending time with, like it's going to be brutal. 
And I would rather lose a million dollars, right? And do it with friends that I really like to work with than make $10 million and be miserable and do it with people that I don't trust, I don't like. Like, that's hard to say, but like your peace of mind is really important. Now, I'd rather make 2 million with people I really like to work with because I'm there not in go. business. I'm not in business to, you know, lose money, but I think it's just really important. You got to align and uh, that's what we did. I think that's well said, uh, my friend. Um, because like people like to, to get rid of the conflict and the drama, I think people will do insane financial things. I mean, I've watched it. We're like, just to eliminate all of the negative energy, the conflict, the drama. I mean, like truly to your point, lose a million dollars with friends I like I love. And I think that's where the reconciliation against the technical advisors that like to help in this space, it's all the left brain. And it's like, it's all correct and mathematically correct, but it's like, we're missing sometimes the most, the, the human decisions that are made that are irrational for rational reasons, if that even makes any sense yeah. whatsoever. And I think about like with poker, it's the same thing. Like there's a technical odds, but then you look up and you're, there's real human beings that have lies and tells, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, how did you then figure out how to stay working with them? Or maybe that was that the goal? And the reason I say this Casey, because like, I think there's a, a lot of desire for people to want to work with people that they enjoy for a longer period of time. So like you, you said you like these people and you still talk to them. How did you figure out outside of the family? What, what was next and how do you keep those experiences and relationships intact, even though the business isn't there? One, I think when we were negotiating, it was, Hey, whatever you think is fair is fair. I trust you. You trust me. I wasn't going to let money get in between our relationship. He was fair in that. So I think that was really important. Um, and then, you know, he had other biz business interests, both of them. And I just, and they knew my skill set and they knew that my skill set complemented what they did. So I said, I'm here to serve. If you ever need anything, I'm here, let me know. And they've needed things from time to time and I've needed things from time to time. So I think that was really it. Was there any, like, I, it doesn't appear that this would be the case, but was there any identity infusion with the business? I mean, you went from a poker player to then a real estate investor to now a business owner and, you know, in baseball that you had a passion for. How do you view identity and the relationship with companies? Gosh, uh, that's, that was really tough with that because people knew me as, Hey, you're Casey, the D back guy. And that was who I was. And I lived it for a long time and it was really hard stepping out of the business. I felt like a piece of me, a piece of me like died, honestly, because I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? I, I can't just walk into this facility. Am I even wanted? Am I even needed? Can I, I'm not even on the team anymore. So that was tough. And I, I think a lot of athletes like myself, like I was a former college baseball player and like, do I miss playing? Yeah. But I miss like the dugout and I miss the locker room, you know, like that's what I miss. And I think exiting that business, I did lose a little bit of myself because I'm like, man, what am I going to do now? But then I just found the next thing that I could pour myself into and build more relationships with new people. And I knew the people that were in that business. I mean, I hired my best friend to move from Chicago to build that. And he was there for three years. He's still there today. He was literally just texting me this morning on something. So it's, I keep those relationships and I just start new ones. But I think identity, you know, business is, it's what you do. It's not who you are. And I think early on in my life, it was actually who I was. Mm -hmm. 
And when the business was going great, who was I? I was this great entrepreneur that had it all together, top of the world. And then when I had a bad day or things didn't turn out to plan, who am I? I'm this piece of shit kid that can't figure it out. And I don't even believe, you know, and and it was hard. It was Mm -hmm. really hard. And that's no way to live life. And it was literally like I was on a yo-yo and a roller coaster per se. And that is a tough way to run a business and run a family. So I had to figure out, well, who am I? And then, okay, what does that mean? What do I do? So I encourage, I inspire, and I give people tools and resources they need to make their vision become a reality. That's what I do. I love that, man. And I want to dive further into that. Well, and this question might lead us there, but like, how did you do that? How did you figure out who you are and why? Because like, I think it's such a complicated question. It's such an easy question to, to roll off our tongues, but like, what does it mean to you? Like, wh- like who is Casey? And like, how did you go through the hard work to decouple yourself from any of your entities to just yourself? Yeah, because I think a lot of people, they're so busy building their businesses, they're not building themselves. And that's what I had to do. So one of my business partners, I mean, I was struggling during this process. You would think on the outside, I was doing good. But deep down inside, I was never like good enough per se. And no matter what I did, there was always something else I could have done better or done differently. And that hurt because deep down in, you know, deep down inside, I got told messages as a, as a kid or as a high schooler or whatever that, Hey, Casey, he's no good. All right. He's, and for my whole life, I had to prove to others, but I think it was almost proving it to myself that I was good enough. So what did that look like? Well, if I'm going to play poker, I'm going to be the best in the world at it. I'm going to make the World Series of Poker main event. I'm going to be the youngest ever to do it, and I'm going to win. Now, I didn't win. Now, there was 10,000 people in the tournament, but I made it, and I was <laughs> really good at it. And if you look at anybody else that was in my kind of inner circle, I was the best at it because I couldn't not be the best at it because if I did, then I'm a failure, and I don't. nobody wants to be a failure. But in poker and business, like you can't always win. And when I failed, like I hit some really low lows because when you don't, when business is your life and that's who you are and things aren't going well, like you can get down really deep, you know, on yourself. So same thing in real estate. Then it's like, all right, now I got to be the best at what I do when I own the, and a lot of that was out of not freedom, but it was almost like fear. Like, what if I don't? So Mm -hmm. I went through years of counseling. So I have a faith as well. So I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus. So ultimately that's where my identity comes from. And I won't get a ton into that, but like that truly is the thing that set me free of like, who is Casey? Mm -hmm. Well, in my faith, there is somebody that literally gave himself up for Casey, like died for me. And that's Jesus. So when I thought of that, and I know everybody listening to this, it's different, but when I realized that somebody loved me so much that they put their life down for me, I'm like, well, who's, who would do that for somebody that's not amazing and awesome and worthy and loved. So I had to like reprogram my mind that I'm not this person that's not good enough or could have been better or whatever. Like I'm really, I'm doing, I'm a, I'm a good dude and I'm doing the best with what I got. And I should be really proud of who I am and where I'm at. Without like, and it's not the material or the employee count or the revenue count, but like, so when someone says, who is Casey, how, like, how do you answer that if it's not the business stuff? And, I, and I'm not, I'm just curious on how you think about like with, cause I, cause I, I understand how you got that perspective. Then how, like, how do you, like, what is it that you're holding value to as it relates to 
how you're spending your time because your choices are going to be are going to be driven off of what you're valuing, right? Time relationships. I mean, is there anything in particular that you're holding at the highest principle? Well, right now, so I have a mission statement behind me and it says, have a fun and simple life, put family first and work as a team. So like that's the mission that I go after life. So have a fun and simple life. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, leaders, they can have a lot of fun, but they often don't lead a simple life. Now, (laughs) what is is simple? You got to figure that out. But the other day, my daughter was out playing in her, you know, those little like blue pools that you get at Walmart for 15 bucks and you just put some water in there. I'm like, I'm just going to tell her this is the, you know, this is the Mar-a-Lago, right? I'm going to tell her this is the Bellagio, but she didn't know. And my wife's got these, we have chickens now in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's simple. I don't need a vacation home here or a vacation home here. That's, that's issues. That's That's work, man. I don't need, I I have one HVAC system. (laughs) That's it. And like, oh, well, let's get that vacation home on the east coast of Florida. And then every September to November, we're wondering when the next hurricane is going to hit. And we're going to lose revenue from our vacation home that we rent out half the year, but then we use it half the year or our taxes are going up. Like, I don't want liabilities. I don't want mind space. I don't want things in my head that are stressing me out and worrying. So for me, it's who is Casey? Well, I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband and I want to live a simple life and not like cause more problems for myself than I need to, because problems are going to come at us no matter what we do. Dude, that's awesome. Um, I think you, you tapped into something that I, I've been solving for, for years, Casey, and it's more recently that I've gotten kind of clear on what I was actually solving for, which is I just want to think about the things I want to think about. And if you have these obligations all over the place that you can't control, those thoughts, the people, the situation, the problem, whatever it is, is going to creep into your mental real estate and you're going to have to think about it. And I just don't want to, I just want to have like free floating thoughts about the things that I enjoy. And so it's like the time plus those obligations that create the thoughts in the mental real estate to your point. I like this. I like how you worded that. Where did you, so as you're recalibrating your identity to Casey and these, the simple life, the kind of that mission, where did you, where did you start exploring of picking back up the professional career, ways to make money? Like, were you financially free? Did you need to make money? Kind of curious. and like how you started thinking about the next, next stage. Yeah. Well, I look back at myself in my darkest days, Ryan, and I'm like, okay, who would I have wanted to come in and help me then? And I basically created an offering and I said, okay. This is what I needed back then. And a lot of it was what my business partners gave me. Hey, I'm going to help you stop doing all the things that you don't want to do. Spend your time doing the things that you do want to do. And I'm going to surround myself or yourself with people that can help you that you're not on this and in this alone. So that was really it. And I told my business partner, Chad, that I said, hey, I want to go and help other people that are building businesses too, because I know how hard it is to build businesses. And I want to teach them some of the stuff you've taught me and that I've learned. And I think that's fine. I mean, my best days running companies were not the days when we hit a milestone. It was the conversations I had afterwards, or it was the relationships that I had. So now it's just trying to figure out, all right, yeah, I'd still want to make money because that's good and money can do real cool things and all of that. But I'm kind of at that point where I really just want to help people. Um, and I want to help people get what they want. And I think a lot of people don't really know what they want because one, it's in their head. Um, and 
also in their head is 99 other things that they might want. So I help get people to write down simply and clearly what do they want? Like, what does that destination look like? Like even have a fun and simple life, put family first and work as a team. Like, well, what does that even mean? And we have to even simplify that. So I think that's really it. Why do people have such a hard time describing what they want? I just don't know if they know. It takes a lot of time to figure out what they want. And I think you got to live a lot of life to figure that out too. I agree with that last statement. And, and I'm just so fascinated, Casey. Like, why is it? I know it takes, it's sometimes, yeah, it can take a long time. But like, why is it, why is it that people don't know? <laughs> and like, it's just such a fascinating thing for me. Cause like, I'm just, like, I've always and I'm learning this about myself, man. Like, and so for the listeners in there, they've been learning this about me. It's like, I've always wanted to figure out what I've wanted to do. Like, like the concept, like I I remember Casey in high school, driving in traffic on the way to our family's, the family business's headquarters. And it's seven 15. And I'm like, what in the F Look at all these people. They're all zombies. They get into the car and 2 million people rush to the city at the same time to do shit they don't like with people that are not really fun having fun with. And I'm like, why is everybody doing this? And so, so from an early age, I'm just like, I have to figure out a way to have a fun life. And like, and like it, so it's been so ingrained in me for so long that I find it so fascinating. Like when I ask people like, what do you want? And then they answer like, houses, cars, revenue, like, it's just like these easy surfacey things to grab onto. And it's not everybody. I'm just curious, like, when you because you've helped and worked with so many people now. Why don't you think people know? I don't know if they take the time to think thinking's really hard to do. And it's scary. It's scary to really take the time to realize, who am I? What do I want? Why do I want it? How am I feeling? Why am I feel? I mean, this, these are real things that people don't take the time. And at the end of the day, people all want very similar things. They all want to be loved. They all want to be accepted. They all want to feel worthy and they want to feel secure. Laws, L-A-W-S, love, acceptance, worth, and security. Now, the challenge is a lot of people run to things in the wrong places to get those things. Hey, I want to feel loved. All right, well, let me run over here. That's going to make me feel love, but it's only going to be temporary whether it's a relationship with a person or it's somewhere where they're not supposed to be or whatever. Hey, I want to be accepted. Well, I could join a gang and be accepted. I'm accepted by these people. That's why people join gangs, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I want to feel secure. All right, well, I need to make a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Is that really going to make you secure, right? Um, Worthy. I want to be worthy and I want to be a great business owner. So it's it's that's what we're seeking love acceptance worth and security unfortunately a lot of people go and try to find it you know in the wrong places and unhealthy relationships and unhealthy things when you know at the end of the day it's it's really hard to get that dude that was awesome i i, I agree with you man and i do you think it, it, it the problem compounds i could see the problem compounding I, I have of like when you're a business owner and leader there's not a lot of people that can look you in the face and be like dude what you're doing is totally toxic and destructive to yourself because advisors are somehow making money off of the relationship in one way or form form or another. doesn't mean that like they could have wonderful intent, but Casey, if you're paying me 50 grand a year, like there's going to be a filter that says like, I'm not going to, it might, I might hesitate or self-censor 
my real honest opinion for you. Employees get their paycheck from you. You're like everybody around that whole situation is tied to it kind of working in the dysfunction. So I, I had a, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, when they make it to the top, people around them aren't going to be honest with them anymore Mm -hmm. because they're scared. They're scared to lose their job. They're scared to be cut out. Like it's really hard when you're at the top for people to be honest with you. And I, I had that same experience and I failed. I ended up investing into a company a while ago and I took on kind of like a COO integrator role. And the owner that I was working with, I made a financial investment in this business. And normally where I'm a guy that just says it how it is, and I'm not scared at all to be fired because I'll just find another client tomorrow, right? I was almost scared and I never really went there until it was too late of, hey, this is how you're treating your people. Hey, this is something you need to think about. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. Like I didn't go there because I was scared. So like I lived it out that, you know, a lot of people aren't honest with one another, especially those at the top. And you have to have somebody in your life that's speaking truth that knows and sees and experiences things your way. I was literally just on a call earlier. And what did she say to me? I wrote my notes down here, Heather. She's my kind of business coach kind of per se. And she goes, Casey, you got visionary syndrome, just like your clients. You need to pick your three most important priorities and just stay focused on those. That's it. And she just hit me hard with it. (laughs) Doesn't that feel good? The things that you're doing in your business are things that do not move the needle the way you think they move the needle. These are the three things you need to do and you need to cut everything else out. Now, she's willing to be honest with me because one, I've told her be honest with me, but two, she's not scared because she can go and find another client if she wants to find one. And does she know, do you feel, Casey, that Heather knows and is on the same page with you of what you want long-term? Absolutely, because I told her exactly what I wanted. She knows my mission and what I'm trying to do. She knows what our business goals are. So she can hold me to those standards. She knows what the destination is. And she also knows the things that I need to do to get to that destination. And if I'm not doing those things, we meet once a month, I show her, did I do the things that we talked about? Am I doing the right activities? And if I'm not, she gets on me for it and figures out, well, why aren't you? What's the real issue that you're not? And I think a lot of business owners, myself included, and that was our challenge today, spend time on the things that don't really move the needle, that are more fun to do, or they're time distractors where you really just need to focus on a few things that really do grow your business. It's super cool, man. Cause like I, I think that this concept of like the accountability coach, I mean, like, yeah, I think it's I agree with you that. A lot of time, there's not a lot of truth being spoken to for the people, the leaders at the top for the reasons that we discussed. And then the challenge that I've seen is like, because the owners or leaders don't know what they want, they don't know who they are, how in God's name is even the best coach supposed to help them? So like, it's like they can't like, do you see like, it's like this vicious loop and, and now it's and it's honestly been a self-preservation mechanism for me and it's actually working we're like i quit trying to solve people's problems in real time for them casey i was like casey what do you want and i was like i'm flipping it because i was realizing that what i was doing for years just wasn't working and then i'd start asking people like holy shit they don't actually know so like how am i supposed to help them if they don't know so it's like like what you just described is this one-two punch that falls together once people clarify what they want because then they can get the person they trust. And it's kind of this weird chicken or egg situation. Yeah, and it takes time to get there. I, You got to clarify your vision of what you want, both as a business and in your life, because you want to build a business that gets you what you ultimately want in your life. 
So you really need to say, what kind of life do you want to live? How much do you want to work? How much money do you want to make? What do you want to be doing with your time? Right? Where do you live? What do you need to own? And then it's building a business that gets you those things. And then you know you're, you've made it. But until you understand what life you want to live and you can't really build a business because it's what's the point of a business? The business should serve your life. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Right. I love it. So with the, the dugout CEO and the podcast, like what, what's your intent, man? Like, wh- why are you doing what you're doing? Like, what's your, like, if you were to look back at, and it's 2030 and you would be like, dude, this, I'm having a lot of fun. This is working. I'm making an impact. Like what, like what's it all for? Sure. So the dugout CEO podcast started that gosh, several months ago, we hit top 10 on, I think leadership and baseball, which has been really fun. We pick a niche around yeah, that's awesome. baseball. We talk a little bit about baseball, but it's more about life and leadership and business And really, I wanted to bring on the smartest, brightest minds that I knew that were great entrepreneurs, that were great husbands, that were great leaders, right? That were successful on the field and off the field and just teach life principles. So my goal is to create as many episodes as I can that one day, maybe my son will listen to this podcast and it'll help him in his marriage or it'll help him run a business or to help him be a leader. Um, So I don't know if I'll record 50 episodes or 500 episodes. We'll see. I've had some really cool guests on so far. So that's been fun. And also it gives, you know, a lot of my network, some really simple tools and tips to help them become an MVP at what they do, whether they're a coach or a leader or a business owner, we have a lot of really good content for, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, And, you know, my whole thing is helping business owners get out of the day to day. And that's what I was able to do myself was get out of the day-to-day operations of your business. So you can focus on growing your business, scaling your business, and spend your time with those that you want to be spending your time with and focus on what matters most. I I see athletes and entrepreneurs, they're very successful in their business or on the field, but they have relationships off the field that are a total train wreck. And the divorce rates are with athletes and entrepreneurs are far more than your average W-2 person. Um, and I want to figure out a way to change, uh, just the narrative of what does it look like to have a successful business in a new way of su- defining success. That's it. What you're, yeah, that's super fascinating, man. How, how are you helping people? Do you want to give a, everybody a little bit of an overview of how you're actually helping people get out of the day to day? We've, we've talked a lot, clarify the vision for your life first, your business second, and then really figure out, okay, if this is where you want to go, what are the real issues that are holding you back? I find often it's time. So we have to figure out a way to get entrepreneurs time back. So basically, we just start making lists of all the things that are doing that they don't want to do 90 days from now. And then we try to figure out what are the big lowest hanging fruits that are taking the most time from you. And then who do we know that can do those things? First, we still got to realize, should you even be doing those things at all? Because I find we can probably help entrepreneurs get time back by just getting rid of things they're doing Mm -hmm. that don't really move the needle. And then narrowing to these are the things that have to be done and then started building teams and systems and processes around them to automate things they're doing or bring in other people that can help them, you know, get more done. That's awesome. Um, well, why don't you just tell everybody where they can find it? Then we'll ask the last question. I know you uh, that you're aware of, but uh, where, where sure. can people find you in the services and uh, follow you? Yeah. CaseyCavell.com, C-A-S-E-Y-C-A-V-E-L-L.com. I got a couple free guides on there. I got a newsletter I send out. Our podcast is on there. So just check out kcavell.com. I love it. And the last question, what does the word intentional mean for you? So I was intentional and I wrote it down. <laughs> That's sure. what I knew you I knew you were prepped. <laughs> you know where you want to go 
you have a written plan on how you're going to get there and you have someone that's going to help you stay on track. Love it, dude. Love it. Well, I appreciate you for being intentional because that was a very good definition and it's uh, easier said than done, but worth the, worth the effort for sure. Casey, thank you so much for coming on the show, telling your story. This has been a lot of fun, man. You bet, Ryan. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Casey. I really loved how clear he was about his decision making because he was clear on what he was trying to accomplish. And after getting done with another tour of Vistage over the last couple of weeks, I mean, it's really fascinating to me how many people, their goal is revenue. And revenue doesn't, I mean, revenue is important, but it's not the end result. So we need to create an asset that's going to give us the choices to get out of our role and keep the business that we want or to monetize the business and keep our role or the ability to just step back and take a deep breath and then assess our situation. And I just find it unbelievably important that people spend the time to get that clarity. So if you're not clear on what you want long term, go check out the starter kit, fill out the vision board. And then in the starter kit, we actually have all the multi, uh, the previous mini series that I did with Bo Burlingham on trying to figure out what you want from the business and why. I got the ones in there about the financial asset and valuations, exit options. I mean, just all of them centralized in one little area so you can spend some time thinking. This is going to take some time to think because you have to get clear on what you want. And then you can start talking to the people around you that are important, like your partners or your key executives. So go check out the starter kit, get clear on what you want, and it'll bring you a sense of peace because you have context of the decisions that are in front of you and whether you should or shouldn't do them because you're going to have clarity of whether they're going to get you closer to your goal or further away. And if you're not sure, at least then you can take that very pointed, clear question and take it to the right person to answer because there's context and there's a goal behind the question. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in and stay tuned for next week where I'm interviewing Brian Roars, who has built one heck of a successful real estate investment business. And he's had many bumps and bruises along the way, but he's created something that is very special. And I think you're going to enjoy the story.